Welcome back to Dealing Together. First caller? I bought three sweaters to get the fourth free. Oh, you got fleeced. Next caller? I traded my old Samsung at AT&T for a new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus and chose my plan. That's not a bad deal. It is not. Our best smartphone deals. Your choice of plan. Learn how to get the new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus with Galaxy AI on us with eligible trade-in. AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Offers vary by device. Subject to change. S24 plus 256 gigabyte offer available for a limited time. Terms and restrictions apply. See att.com slash Samsung for details. Welcome to Mind, Body, and Business, a podcast that explores topics, perspectives, and actionable insight for a strong mind and healthy body, along with empowering conversations to help you handle your business. I'm your host, Maria Moore. There's an old saying that goes, the things that last don't come easy, and the things that come easy usually don't last. This quote will be the premise of this episode. The power of pacing yourself, slow, sustainable success for your mind, body, and business. Also have a really good question from one of our podcast listeners about transitioning from employee to entrepreneur. Yes, lots of good stuff on deck, so let's jump into it. Back at it again for another episode of Mind, Body, and Business. This is episode 11. I am so excited about being in double digits. And I am just feeling so high on life right now. I am recording this episode about two days after returning home from Cabo San Lucas in Mexico. And I had such a wonderful time. I attended a restoration retreat. And not only was I an attendee, but I also did a wellness workshop and a dance fitness class. And I made so many genuine connections with women I have never seen or met before. And it felt so good. So I want to send a huge shout out to Dion Edwards, who is the uh, founder of Bossy Retreats. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, shout out to all of the ladies, the wonderful activities. One of the activities that stood out the most to me, and I think that is the most memorable, was the sound bathing. And I ain't gonna lie, y'all, I'm a little ghetto. Uh, but when I first <laughs> heard about sound bathing, I was like, okay, what's what's gonna happen? Some musical vibration on our skin? What kind of swimsuit should I bring? And it definitely wasn't that if you've ever done sound bathing before. It's just basically um, sounds with different bowls and uh, instruments, if you will, different things that make sounds that are very healing. And we did the sound bathing as a group. And we happened to be in Mexico during El Dia de los Muertos. And I didn't say that with the best Spanish accent, but it's basically Day of the Dead. And during the sound bathing, you know, they encouraged us to like calm our minds and close our eyes and 
they had the bowls and the chanting and it really felt like a spiritual experience. And I remember laying there, feeling the energy of the sounds and um, like a tear trickling down on the right side of my face. And I visualized my dad and my grandmother standing over me who are both deceased. My dad passed away in 2021 due to COVID complications. And my grandmother passed away almost 15 years ago, but she and I were very close. She was like a mother figure to me. And I was laying down and I just saw them standing over me. And I shared this with uh, the ladies that were conducting the sound bathing. And I wasn't aware of the Day of the Dead and didn't really understand what it meant. But she was telling me like, this is the Day of the Dead. This is the actual holiday. So that really moved me. And um, I didn't realize that I needed that time away. And I had been traveling back to back with work. And I was looking at this trip as work because I was hired to be a speaker and to teach a class. But I am so glad that I got to experience the wellness of it all, the peace and the connections with other women. So if you've never done a retreat or just gotten away, and it doesn't have to be as detailed as going to another country and, you know, doing sound bathing or going on the beach, you know, doing a nature walk or just taking a PTO day from your job, spending time with yourself in nature, meditating, reading a book, it is so necessary, especially with everything happening in the world and where a lot of people are with their mental health. So just a little tidbit that I wanted to share. And also I, I want to shout out the ladies who were there in the sound bathing because some of the sisters that were there were just really into it. I heard some grizzly bear snoring uh, in between the chanting and the bowls, <laughs> the soothing sound from the bowls. It was like a cadence of like snoring, the bowls, chanting, the gong and all kinds of different unique sounds, but uh, it was really cool. Um, I, I believe those sisters were very relaxed and they definitely sounded like it, but it was just a great time overall. Again, much love going out to Dion Edwards of Bossy Retreats. And so today's episode is gonna be about slow growth. One of my favorite quotes, and you know I got a lot of them, is rushing things can ruin things. And have you ever arrived somewhere and someone asked you, how did you get here? Like, how did you get here? How did I get where I am right now? And not from a logistic standpoint, like, okay, well, uh, I got in my car, I got on I-85, I got off exit number 17, I made a left, I made a right, and I pulled into the driveway. No, really, like, how did you get here? What was the path that brought you to this very moment? Now, I believe for most people, there are many steps, many experiences that brought them to this moment. I know for me, there were many steps. If I could go back as far as kindergarten and moving with this relative and that relative, graduating from high school, going to college, becoming a mother, working at different radio stations, starting a business, getting married, just so many things and experiences that led me to this very moment and made me who I am today. For many, it can be like a complex path. And if you reflect back on all of the steps and the stages that brought you to where you are today. I'm sure that you had some pivotal moments in there, some really important life lessons that made you who you are today. And the path that got you here, listening to this podcast right now, it took time. But if you accomplished something great, that was time well spent, right? And this is something really important to remember as we are pursuing new goals, that we don't have to rush to get to it. 
that the growth and the joy is in the process and the people that we become as we are trying to accomplish new things. So I want to jump into what does slow growth mean? Why it's so much more valuable to us, specifically as that slow growth relates to the three pillars of this podcast, mind, body, and business. So let's start off with the brain, the mind. So I have a therapist and she is absolutely amazing. I talked about being high off of my experience in Mexico, but I'm also high off of my therapy session this morning. I like to do my therapy sessions on Sunday morning because it gives me the opportunity to kind of deload everything that happened the week before and get a reset and get some really great insight. And the thing that I love about having a therapist, it's like you got a best friend without the luggage, you know, um, and therapy is amazing. I wish that um, the whole stigma associated with going to therapy didn't exist. I was talking to one of my girlfriends at the gym about having a therapist. And she was like, oh, what you mean a shrink? Oh, I've never done that before. And oftentimes people think going to therapy means something is wrong with you. You know, your headspace ain't all the way together. But I see therapy like exercise, you know, like going to the doctor for a physical condition. Uh, because, you know, your mental health does impact your physical. But yeah, I spoke to my therapist this morning because, again, you hear this repeated conversation about me going through some pretty big life transitions between this episode 11 going all the way back to episode one. I sprinkle that topic in here and there. Um, but she gave me some really good insight that uh, is totally aligned with the topic of this episode. And it just happened coincidentally. One thing that I've learned is to take my time with making decisions, and I haven't perfected that yet. Sometimes I make decisions too quickly without thinking things all the way through. Oftentimes it's because I'm just excited and I'm trying to, you know, get to it and make some progress, or I think it's a really big opportunity and I'm so excited about it. I don't think through the details. Uh, other times I make decisions out of fear that if I don't make the decision in that moment, I'll miss out on an opportunity. And then on the other hand, I make decisions based off of negative experiences from the past. I say the first example of this that comes to mind is my relationship with my husband. So I grew up living with different family members. From the story I got from my grandmother and my dad, my mother really wasn't emotionally and mentally stable when I was a baby. And so my great-grandmother and my grandmother raised me. I'm half Asian and half black. My mom's from the Philippines. And so I've always been raised by or lived with and nurtured by the black side of my family. And I didn't actually see my mother for the first time until I was 12 years old. Back then, you know, I felt really neglected. I didn't understand why nobody wanted me, why I had to move from place to place. And... I've learned over the years that a big part of my ambition and a big part of me always feeling like I need to accomplish a new goal and I need to prove myself and I need these accolades and many of the things that I talk about in this podcast is associated with that rejection. I'm feeling like I needed to be special enough to be desired and valued. And as a 44-year-old woman, that's something that I'm still working through. It also showed up a lot in my relationships with men because I had several serious relationships before I met my husband and I was in relationships with men who let me down, who lied to me, who cheated on me, 
who weren't necessarily the people that I thought um, I was dating. And so the letdown from being moved from place to place as a child, all the way up to my high school years, and then the issues that I had in my previous relationships, I brought all of that <laughs> to my husband, who, like I said in a previous episode, is always down to ride the Maria Moore roller coaster. But um, one thing that my therapist was working me through this morning, she said that your mind, your brain is designed to protect you from threats. So if it recognizes something as a threat, it's going to release all of these chemicals inside of your body. Many of those chemicals, you know, associated with anxiety and fear and confusion, lots of negative things on the emotional guidance scale. And um, my husband, when he came into my life, I would judge little things that he did um, based off of things that I experienced in the past. Like, um, I don't know, when we were dating, if he didn't text me back right away, I was like, oh, he over there somewhere cheating on somebody. He at somebody's house and he ain't got his phone on because he in a bed with another woman. <laughs> I was like, it was so intense. Yeah, I mean, my mind would just go to a different place, you know, um, when we would get in an argument or when we would have issues about money, I would just naturally go into this defense. I'm a strong black woman, single mama mode. I don't need nobody. Um, and I am so thankful that my husband stuck with me through all of those emotions. Man, thinking about the conversation that I had with my therapist, uh, she was talking about how the brain is designed to protect you from threats. And she used this example of me being the bouncer of my thoughts. So you think about a bouncer standing at the door of the club, big dude, right? So that the people who see the bouncer are like, all right, I ain't about to mess with this person or whatever. That bouncer is standing there and, you know, there, there may be a line and maybe that bouncer is deciding who gets to be in this club, this exclusive club, which is my mind. You have to be careful about what thoughts and circumstances and people and conversations that you let into your mind. And you have to be very selective, especially when our brains go into that. Oh, my gosh, I'm protecting you from a threat mode. You can perceive something as a threat because it looks like something that was threatening from your past, but it really isn't. And so when I was talking to my therapist, the first thing that came to mind is say the bouncer is standing at the door and he sees a young guy who looks like he's 17 standing in line. And so by first glance, the bouncer is thinking, uh, you, you a teenager, you probably ain't even graduated from high school yet. You're not getting in this club. So instant rejection because you know, you see people with young faces and nice tight skin, <laughs> that baby face, and like, you don't belong in here. You look young. You look like you don't belong in here. But we know a lot of people, well, I don't know what kind of vampire juice they on, but they look young. Uh, Pharrell, Lorenz Tate, a lot of, especially black men, oh my gosh, in terms of aging, you're like, golly, you look like you did in the 90s. And so for me, I look at that as instead of instantly rejecting that experience, that conversation, those words, and associating it with a negative experience, pausing, saying, wait a minute, let me evaluate this. Let me take time to examine the people trying to get into my club, into my brain, and see if they belong here. And so instead of instantly rejecting that person who looks young and should not be in this club. Why don't I ask, let me see your ID. Let me see what year you were born. You know, only to find out that the person is 35. They just look 17. And so when I think about this analogy, specifically as it relates to my husband, 
you know, we may get in arguments or disagreements or he may demonstrate the mannerisms or he may use the words that were associated with a negative experience, but he is not that person. And there's lots of evidence in my relationship with my husband where he has shown up for me, where he has been loyal, where he has been committed, where his love has been so unconditional. So that is the evidence that I'm examining, but it takes patience and it takes a willingness to pause and to not rush through making assumptions about these new experiences that may mimic characteristics of bad things that have happened to you in the past. It may look the same, but there is a possibility that it isn't. And then also mentally, when it comes to my profession, there are times when I begin to worry about, oh my gosh, did I make the right decision resigning from my position? I remember back in 2008 during the recession back then, um, I moved to Atlanta. I was here for only six months and I got laid off from my job and it was really hard for me. It was so scary because at that time I was a single mom with two young children in a city, brand new city. I didn't know anyone. And I was just piecing together gigs to pay the bills. I was alone. I felt really helpless. And so letting go of a stable position in corporate America where I was making a lot of money, sometimes I go back to that time and I think about, oh, did I make the right decision? Am I going to be struggling like I did last time? But again, it's taking a deep breath and evaluating the evidence. Back then, I didn't have a supportive husband. I didn't have two incomes. Back then, I wasn't debt-free. Back then, I didn't have a business that has been running successfully for five consecutive years. So when I evaluate the evidence and the current circumstances, it's just not the same. So I have to talk to my brain. I have to evaluate what is happening to me right now and how is it different? You know, during the retreat in Mexico, a woman asked a question uh, to one of the other speakers and she was talking about anxiety and she was talking about how her mind naturally goes to something bad is going to happen. You know, this is not going to work out. And I really felt for her in that moment because, you know, I have moments of anxiety, but it doesn't get to the point to where it is um, debilitating. But for her, it seemed as if anxiety was ruling her life and she could not understand why it was so difficult for her to get over that hump of thinking negative and expecting bad things to happen. And it's probably because she references past negative experiences and assigns those emotions to the present. You know, there's a quote that says, we repeat what we don't repair. And through life, I feel like mentally, we ignore the way that we feel. We ignore the reality of this is making me anxious. We have these things we're like, oh, get over it, be tough. Just pretend the feeling doesn't exist. And the longer it goes unaddressed, the more it grows. And so it's really important that we address our emotions and our anxiety and what is the source of it? Why do we feel this way? What are we thinking about? What are we referencing from the past? And how can we reframe that in the present? And that takes time. You don't have to heal instantly. Healing takes time. You see when athletes get injured, you hear, you know, football games, basketball games, he's going to be out for the rest of the season. Oh, that's going to be six to eight weeks. That's going to be at least eight games. That is a time that the body needs to heal. We cannot rush through our evolution. It's something that requires lots of patience. You think about that 
million dollar athlete that everyone is coming to the games to see that athlete that's selling all of the tickets and making people buy all of the the team paraphernalia and spend all of this money and that injury is so critical it's so important for them to sit out that the owners say you know what we're gonna have to miss out on all of this money because this person healing is way more important it's way more valuable to the team and to the overall goal to let this person sit out and heal than to try to rush them in there for the sake of winning games and making more money. We have to apply that same concept to our lives. You don't have to rush through making decisions. You don't have to rush through healing personally or professionally. Take some time to breathe, process the information, identify where those doubts and that anxiety is coming from. And understand your first interpretation may not be accurate, and that's okay. Keep working through it. Energy flows where attention goes. And if you focus on the solution, on the healing, the restoration, the patience required for you to be your best self, that gives you a very strong mental foundation. Moving on to the body. What does growing slow or shrinking steady, if you're trying to lose weight, mean for you and how can it help you achieve sustained progress right because all of us have been on this weight loss or fitness roller coaster you go through bouts of super motivating times and you're driven you're ambitious you're focused you're eating healthy and then you go through these dips of man I don't feel like moving my body I don't feel like getting out of bed I'm going to order takeout I'm eating all the fried foods so how do you find that balance This is where pacing yourself comes into play, being patient with yourself. You know, one of the most frustrating things for women who have been through my program, and I started back in 2017, during the first two years, I attracted a lot of really ambitious, driven, ready to go. I will eat whatever you tell me to eat. I will exercise as often as you tell me to. I will drink all the water. I will go to bed on time. I mean, they were just ready. And I'm thankful for those women because their transformations uh, were really a part of the foundation of my success because other women who related to them who were at their same starting point were inspired and saw them and said you know what she did it she's like me I can do it too but what happens is when you go really fast and you're super driven and you're operating under these conditions of restriction and you achieve your goal you don't know how to function (laughs) afterwards you don't know how to function in a space of balance versus the restrictive lifestyle that you were living. And another challenging thing that I see many of the women who have gone through my program and that they're facing right now is they lost all of the weight, the pandemic hit, they gained a lot of that weight back and then some. And so they're referencing their former self. Well, I'm gonna go back and do what I did in 2017 and 2018, and I'm gonna lose weight. I remember who I was, I remember what I achieved at that time, and boom, it'll be all good. And so they open up their meal plan, they map out their fitness routine, and it's not clicking, it's not coming together. And again, this goes back to evaluating the evidence that you have in the present. What were the circumstances when you achieved success with your fitness goals and you were really on it and hitting all of your targets? And what is different now? Uh, There's age, there's work schedules, there is the mental toll of the recession, the war in Ukraine, inflation, the pandemic, all of that plays into your ability to achieve a certain goal. 
So for example, you probably can run a mile in about 10 minutes or less, or maybe a little bit more, you know, if you're applying effort, depending on how old you are. And then if you put on a backpack and some ankle weights and a helmet, you may not be able to run that mile in 10 minutes because you are carrying more weight. So the thing with your body goals and pacing yourself, and especially if you are comparing yourself to your former self, right, Um, what you achieved 5, 10, 15 years ago when your body was younger, when you were more energized, when you weren't under as much stress as you're under today. It's really not fair to yourself to have those same expectations because the conditions are different. But here's the cool thing. You can still achieve results, but you have to operate around your current circumstances. I was at the gym earlier today and I said, you know what, I'm going to do four leg exercises. That is going to be my Sunday routine. I'm going to do my walking lunges, my deadlifts, my hamstring curls, and my leg extensions. And so I'm rolling, doing them. I did uh, walking lunges. I had two 25-pound dumbbells, and that was cool. And then when I was warming up to do my deadlifts, the bar was 55 pounds at a 55-pound bar. And I was like, okay, I feel a little bit more than I should be feeling during the warm-up. And it wasn't like this a year or two ago. But I'm like, okay, whatever. And then I put the weight on. I only put two 25-pound plates on each side. So that would put it at 105 pounds. I'm doing the reps at 105 pounds. And I'm like, this feels heavier. This feels more like 135 felt, you know. And I did it for about 10 to 12 reps. Initially, I was thinking, put more weight on, put more weight on. But what I found was at the 105 pounds, towards the end, I was kind of losing my form. And I had to humble myself and say, you know what, Maria, you need to build your strength back up again. You have a lot of responsibilities. You're getting up early in the morning to do the morning show. There are some circumstances where you're not able to get a full night's rest and you're trying to exercise. You have other responsibilities related to school schedules and managing my business and doing this podcast and booking guests. There are just a lot of responsibilities. And so I said, you know what? I'm going to stay at this 105 and I'm going to get really good at it and I'm going to do it consistently. I'm going to show up for myself once a week and I'm going to build my strength back up again. And I may not get as strong as I was in 2017, but I'm going to be the strongest me I can be today. I shared this in a previous podcast episode and I also shared it during the wellness workshop at the restoration retreat in Cabo. And I was talking about how when we talk about being connected with our highest self, our maximum spiritual and emotional capacity, being super connected with who we are supposed to be. Everyone you know, no matter what goal they're trying to achieve, that person is doing the best that they can do. And a lot of people don't understand this concept because they may perceive someone as lazy, not trying hard enough, someone playing dumb, someone procrastinating. They're like, they're not doing the best that they can do. But when you consider the circumstances they're operating in, some we may know and some we may not know, they're doing the best that they can do. If someone appears to be lazy, there's an underlying thing going on and they are operating under those circumstances. And so it's very important that we show ourselves some grace and that we respect progress no matter how small. Respect the small wins. Respect the inches Not the miles. It's not always, you know, you're running laps and you're really accelerating in terms of your progress. Sometimes it's inches. Sometimes it's centimeters. 
but respecting the pace of your progress, especially when it's slow, is so important for your growth. And a slower pace often allows you to pay attention to details, to learn yourself better so that you can sustain that progress. So as you set fitness goals for your body, whether you are trying to eat healthier or move your body more, think about what you need right now, what you can commit to right now and respect it. If it's just a walk around the block, if it's swimming a couple of laps, if it's taking a cycle class, dancing with your kids at night, commit to doing something consistently and respect that you're moving your body. Respect that you're eating a salad instead of French fries, even if it's for just one meal. Because those small wins, they add up and they turn into long-term good habits when you do them over and over again. And the last area would be your business. This leads me to this week's Tell Me More question. And if you're like, what is Tell Me More? This is your chance to submit questions for the podcast. To do so, follow me on Instagram at mbbpod. You can shoot me a DM related to mind, body, and business, and I might include it in the podcast. Uh, The question comes from Michelle. She's from Pittsburgh. Thank you for listening, Michelle from Pittsburgh. She says, hi, Maria. I love following your podcast post and I'm really inspired by your evolution as an entrepreneur. My question is, how do I prepare myself to become a full-time small business owner slash entrepreneur? And before I answer this question, I want to make it clear that I do identify as an entrepreneur, but I am also an entrepreneur that has a full-time salary position at the time of this recording. And so I have not been in the space of full-time entrepreneurship, but I can tell you what has helped me is simulating what full-time entrepreneurship would be like. And I want to start by saying that oftentimes on social media, being a small business owner and entrepreneur working for yourself is glamorized. You see the highlight reel, you see people taking vacations at Oftentimes, you see them displaying the ability to do whatever they want to do with their day. And I'm telling you from experience and behind the scenes, running a business, being an entrepreneur requires you to work much longer than you would on a nine to five, like seriously. And so how do I know this if I haven't been a full-time entrepreneur? Again, I have simulated what that would be like. And so here's what I did. When I started my business the first year, I did pretty good. I made like what someone working full time as a cashier at a grocery store would make. All right. That's what my business made the first year. But then it grew and then it grew. By the third year, I was making six figures in my business. Uh, But I also maintained my full time job. Why? Because I had that stable income. I was able to pace myself with growing my business. I had my health insurance. Um, I'm saying had, I still have my health insurance. And I mean, it just made it way easier mentally uh, to build because I knew I had a steady income. But back in, I would say 2019, I said, I wonder what it would be like to be a full-time entrepreneur. And at the time I didn't have quitting or resigning from my position on my radar. And I said, here's what I'm going to do. I am going to live 100% off of my entrepreneur income. So all of the money that I make from my salary, I'm going to invest it. I'm going to save it. I'm going to max out my 401k. I am not going to touch my nine to five money. All right. So I did this for about eight months and it was hard. It was challenging. Even in the back of my mind, knowing that, okay, well, I still have my nine to five income. 
I was like, what would simulating what it would be like living only off of my net income from my small business was really eye-opening and it showed me what it would take for me to be a full-time entrepreneur, still be able to pay my bills, afford health insurance, save money, reinvest back into the business. And so if you are thinking about making that transition, again, this episode is about pacing yourself. And I wouldn't recommend doing this until you get your business to where it's profitable, right? So oftentimes the first two to five years, folks are trying to get the business profitable or make the money back that you spent to build the business. And so once you get to a point to where your business is profitable, do this, say, I'm going to live 70% off of my full-time income, nine to five, my salary, my employee income, and 30%, I'm going to rely on my small business income to pay my bills. And then maybe after six months to a year, you said, okay, well, now I'm only going to live off of 60% of my salary income and 40% of my entrepreneurial income. You see what I'm saying? And you scale back and you scale back and you scale back until you get down to zero on your nine to five. Give yourself a good 12 to 18 months to see what it feels like to live off your entrepreneurial income while you maintain your full-time job. Now, you're probably saying, well, once I become a full-time entrepreneur, I'm not gonna be maintaining that full-time job, but it's going to feel like you still have a full-time job because that is what entrepreneurship requires. And there are unique circumstances where it doesn't require as much time, but for most small business owners, entrepreneurs, in those first couple of years of doing business, really like sometimes up to 10 years doing business, you're really in it and it requires a lot of time and effort. Doing that simulation, one, it gives you an idea of what will be required for you to operate, what will be required for you to live, how hard you would have to work in your business to live off of your entrepreneur income. But it allows you to do that with the cushion, the fallback of your nine to five while you are experimenting. See, oftentimes people uh, say, you know what, I'm just going to step out on faith. I'm just going to jump and I'm going to do it. And that is a great attitude to have that optimism and to believe in yourself. But oftentimes people do that and they just weren't ready. They didn't have their finances in order. They didn't play out the whole scenario in their heads. So pacing yourself, gradually scaling back on how you rely on your salaried nine to five employee income and relying more on your entrepreneur income, I believe will make it much more easier to make that transition into full-time entrepreneurship. So hopefully that helps. Would love to hear how that's going. Feel free to shoot me a DM and let me know. With that said, that is a wrap for this episode of Mind, Body, and Business. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you took notes. I hope it was something valuable that you could take from this and apply to your life. Thanks again for listening, and I look forward to the next empowering conversation. Mind, Body, and Business is an Urban One Incorporated Reach Media production hosted by Maria Moore. Follow me at Maria Moore on all socials and at MBB Pod. Executive produced by Maria Moore, Senior Director of Podcast Operations, Sierra Reed, Supervisory Producer, Colby Kolbtiner, Director of Sales and Corporate Partnerships, Michelle Marino, Integrated Marketing and Partnerships, Lori Flowers, Laura Lopez, and Brittany Jackson, Digital Marketing, Walter Gaynor, J.R. Davis, and Tim Hall, Music Produced by Jamal J. So Smith. Thank you for listening to the Mind, Body, and Business Podcast.